Yes, glory to God. It works. Isn't it great to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ today? Amen. Thankful and grateful. Even as we went through a holiday this past week, I hope people got to see friends and family and just enjoy some time, but a time set aside to give thanks. I hope you were able to do some of that. And obviously for us as believers, uh, it's always the right time to give thanks. Amen. God has been so good and so wonderful to us. Let, let's jump right into the word of God this morning. Uh, John, the 15th chapter is what we're going to look at this morning for a few minutes. John 15. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say amen. Okay, it's amen either way, so let's go. <laughs> John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you as we come to this moment and as we come to your word. We pray that by your word and your spirit, you would speak to us. Lord, unstop anything that would stop us from hearing your word. Soften our hearts where they need to be softened. And Lord, we just give this time to you. Have your way. With your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Anyone that spent any time uh, around me probably gets sick of me talking about certain uh, parts of these verses, but it's because they've just become so much a part of my own walk with God. And I guess because I realize so much my own poverty of soul that, that more and more, that, that the last part of verse 5 where he says, apart from me you can do nothing, that's become more and more and more real to me as I walk with Jesus. Amen? I hope that's becoming more real to you as well. Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. It's a part of a section of Scripture from John 13 through John 17 that happens just over the course of a couple of hours. The Last Supper is in there. And this discourse, his prayer for uh, his disciples and even for us in chapter 17, washing the disciples' feet in chapter 13. You know, sometimes we read through the Scriptures and it goes from one verse to another and perhaps many years have passed. Um, but in this case, we can read through chapter 13, 14, 15, 16 and 17, and it's all happening basically at one time within a few hours. Um, it's Jesus' discourse to his disciples as he realizes he is about to go to the cross. He is ab about to fulfill his destiny. He is about 
to wash away our sins with his blood. It's about to go into that. So that's important as we get into these verses. But let me just share one thing and, and we'll, we'll get right into the verses themselves. Um, a little while ago, a few weeks ago, my wife and I got together with one of the members of our life group, Miss Dana. She was here in the first service. How many people know Miss Dana? Some people know Miss Dana, our friend. Miss Dana is like an expert with colors and, and decorating and things like that. Um, and we wanted to get together. My wife told me we want to have Dana come over and get together with us to pick out colors to paint our house. And I said, that's cool. I like that because I know my colors. You got red, green, blue, yellow, black, white, brown, you know, purple or grapeple, whatever that one's called. I, I know my colors. I, I was in kindergarten. I had my box of eight crayons from Crayola. Got them all memorized. I know my colors. If Dana wants to come over on Friday night, that's cool. I got 15 minutes. Let's pick out some colors for this house. A man got together with two women to pick out colors for his house. Four hours later, I learned more about colors than I ever wanted to know. There was this one color. I called it green. But, but here are some of the colors of green. Minted lemon. Frolic. Sea glass. Duck's egg. Bonsai. Aurora Borealis and Frosted Pine. I looked at all of them and I said, green. No, it's, it's duck's egg. It's Frosted Pine. It's all these different colors. And here I am, you know, I thought, okay, we'll be 15 minutes. I know these basic colors. And I found out a lot more about colors in that four hours. And she took pictures of my house and downloaded them onto the computer and then went to the Sherman Williams website and started painting my walls all these different colors, and my head began to spin around. I said, Jesus, help me. Whatever happened to green and blue and red and brown? What happened, Lord? But, but you know, I realize as we're going to uh, go into these verses here that many times our experience of Christ is somewhat like that. I know red. I know green. I know brown. I know my colors. I'm good. Leave me alone. This will be quick. And we can go to the next thing. But the reality is, is that there is so much more in Christ that needs to be discovered. You don't get it through the box of Crayolas with eight in it. Even the 64 box, which really confused me in first grade, by the way. Even the 64 box doesn't do it justice. So much so that we see this picture in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6 where... Uh, the, the cherubim and the seraphim are there and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I believe what's going on there is that they're seeing a perspective on God. And, and to my fleshly way of thinking, that might go kind of boring after a little while, just sitting around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But what happens is after they've said it once, then they see from a slightly different angle the holiness, the majesty, the goodness, the mercy, the justice, and the love of God. And they fall down again and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then again, after they're done, they begin to see God in a, in a different light even again. And they see another strain, another view, another part of His holiness that they hadn't seen before. And all they can do is kneel down one more time and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They're lost because God's goodness is infinite. His love is infinite. His mercy is infinite. His holiness is infinite. His justice is infinite. It never ends. And they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But we live in a perspective of God with our eight little colors and we're happy with it. God says, I want to take you somewhere. I want to take you somewhere. I just have two little points. That's all I have today. The, the, the name for the message is, the title is, Marks of a True Disciple. Marks of a True Disciple. I just have two. And the first one is this. Disciples abide in Christ. Disciples abide in Christ. 
the, the Greek word that's used in these verses for abide is the word meno. It means to remain, to continue, to dwell. We could use the word to stay. Now, my brother over here, he's the expert on dogs. I'm not. I only have one dog in my life. His name was Rascal. He, wa he lived up to his name. He was a little rascal. And I like to think that Rascal was a dumb dog. Rascal might like to think that his owner wasn't very bright himself, but didn't know anything about training dogs. But the, you, first what you want to do with a dog is you want to make sure they're housebroken, right or wrong. I know that's right. I know that's right, especially if you got carpet. Make sure that thing is housebroken. But when you're teaching a dog all these little tricks that you can teach dogs, but the one thing you need to teach them is how to stay. Because if you don't teach that dog how to stay, all the other little tricks where you try to get them to sit up and get the cookie and all that, none of that really matters, and the dog won't be much good to you unless you can teach that dog to stay. It needs to know when to stay and when to go somewhere. If you're using the dog for anything, if you're going to hunt, or do anything else with a dog, and it doesn't know how to stay, you're in trouble. That dog is of almost no use to you at all. It's more of a pain than it is a blessing because it hasn't learned to stay. And that's what this word is talking about here. Stay. God's saying, stay. I want you to stay right there. I want you to abide right there. I want you to dwell right there. Don't go anywhere. Right now, I need you to stay. If we don't learn how to stay, we're of very little use in the kingdom. If we always have to go here and there and everywhere and do one more thing, we're of very little use. We need to learn how to stay in his presence. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for most of us. It's a challenge for me. We live in an internet culture. We live in, in a, a culture with 18,473 television stations. I just got Dish TV this past week. I had never, until now, 48 years old, until this week, I had never paid a penny for television in my life. I was Mr. Rabbit Ears. Just make it work, Lord. Every time the bus goes by, the picture goes, Ugh. every time a plane goes overhead, every time it thinks about raining, it was just a mess. And really, I got it for the picture more so than for the channels. Although I found out there's a whole lot of channels on there. I could watch like 37 college basketball games at once. I was like, what in the world is going on here? There's so much going on. There's so much to keep us busy. There's so much to keep us going from place to place. But God says, stay there. He says, abide. Stay there for a little while. was talking with a, a, a brother. He's not, he doesn't go here, but he, he's a believer. He loves the Lord. He's from a different country. And he was just talking about his experience over the last few months living in Philadelphia, northeastern United States, the pace of things, the way things go, the fast pace of everything. And he said, I know this isn't for me. I, I can't take it. I can't deal with it. And I think sometimes we've gotten so used to this pace where we're going and we're going and we're being productive. We think we have to be productive in everything we do. I'm learning this more and more that most of what I say I have to do, I don't have to. It's, it's a waste of time, and it's a waste of my life if I haven't first taken time to abide in Christ, to abide in God. The word that's used here, let's just look at it. It's used seven, ten times in seven verses, starting at verse 4. Let's just look through that real quick. Verse 4, he says, abide in me. Later in verse 4, abides in in, unless it abides in the vine. Later in verse 4, abide in me. Verse 5, in the middle, whoever abides in me. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me. Verse, verse 9, uh, abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
Later in verse 10, abide in his love. Abide, 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 abide. Every time that word is used in the Greek, it's used in what they call uh, the active voice. The active voice is the voice of something that you do. Passive is something that's done to you. A lot of times we think of abiding or dwelling or sitting or staying somewhere. That sounds like a very passive thing to do. But what the scripture is telling us is that's about the most active thing that we ever need to do. We want to be active and be here and there and everywhere. And God says, no, I need you to be active. I need you to abide. Sit still. Stay. It's active. It's hard. But it's something we need to do. Now, I don't want to get too deep here into, into Greek grammar because I am not an expert by any means. But in verse 4 and in verse 10, the mood there is called the imperative mood. The imperative mood means the mood of command. So in verse 4, he says, abide in me. That's a command. Same thing in verse 10. Abide in me. That is the, the voice in, in Greek of a command. Now, I know a little bit about Greek. So as I'm reading this and I'm going to look up what kind of verb this is exactly, I'm thinking it's probably in what we call um, the, not the heiress, but the, uh, what is the, the voice I'm thinking of? The present. I'm thinking it's in the Greek present tense. The Greek present tense means something that you keep on doing. You do it over and over and over again. So it's like the Energizer Bunny tense. If I'm saying in the, in, in, in the present tense, I'm saying you keep on doing it and keep on doing it. So as I'm looking at this, abide in me, I'm thinking that's what I'm going to find, but I find something else. Actually, in the Greek, it's in the aorist is what it's in. And, and that was a little strange to me, but as I understood it better, this is what it means in the imperative. The aorist imperative means... It calls for a specific, definite, decisive choice. It's like this. Do this now. Do it at once. Do it once and for all. Doing, writing this in the aorist imperative means it's a sense of urgency. So as Jesus is speaking to these 11 men, was speaking to his disciples, one of them had already left Judas to betray him. But he's speaking to them. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He says, abide in me. Command. Urgency. Now, do this. He gives that command. He gives that command not only to them, but he gives that command to us. Abide in me, the scripture says. Now, look, look at this as well, because... He does say not just abide, not just stay, not just dwell, not just hang out, not just chill right there. But he says, abide where? In me. Over and over again in this passage, he's saying, abide in me. Look at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Now, in, in John's gospel, over and over again, we see Jesus going through what we call the I am sayings. He says in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. In chapter 10, I am the gate. Again, in chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. In chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, just a few verses earlier here in the same discourse, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, I am the true vine. The I am sayings in Greek, that's ego and me. As he's saying these things, he is recalling to the people that he's speaking to the great I am. As God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses said, when I go back to tell the people that you sent me, who will I say sent me? What is your name? And the Lord reveals his covenant name, Yahweh. I am that I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. And so when Jesus stands up among the people and says, I am the bread of life, they take notice. In fact, it gets them in trouble. People leave. At different times when he says, I am the light of the world. Now they want to kill him because 
Who are you to equate yourself with God? Even later in that chapter, in John chapter 8, he tells the people, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what that meant. He was claiming to be deity. And so they desired to kill him at that point. And so here he says, I am the true vine. Abide in me, the true vine. And in me alone. Now, if, if Jesus says, I am the true vine, don't you think that that means there must be some other type of vine as well? Right? Many other types of vines. And the vine is the place where the branch gets the nutrients in order to grow and in order to produce fruit and to produce life. He says, I am the true vine. Abide in me. I am. I have to look in my own heart and in my own soul and in my own life and ask the question, and I hope you'll ask the question too, what vine are you looking to find life from? Where else are you looking for the nutrients that are going to keep you going? Is it in a relationship? Is it in your job? Is it in your status? Is it in what people think about you, what they say about you? Where is it? In what other things do you find life and want to draw life from so much so now how do you know that you're doing that so much so that you're neglecting the very thing that God tells us to do here abiding in the vine because these other things are so important they're so pressing I hear it over and over again I don't have time to really get it in in the scriptures I really don't have time to pray I kind of do it as I go along doing it as you go along is okay that that's good do it all day long but, my God, we need to spend some time where we're getting it in with God. All these other things begin to crowd out what is most important and what gives us the ability to do anything worth doing in this world. I'm realizing more and more as I get older that the time I spend with the Lord is what matters so much more than anything else. There is no point of comparison. It's not worth comparing anything else. So it says abide, not just in abide in spirituality or abide in some generic God or abide in one thing or another. But he says, abide in me, abide in Jesus, who is the Christ. Abide in me. We see this happening throughout Scripture, this picture of abiding in God. Psalm 91 puts it this way. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. King James says in the secret place of the Most High. Will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. It says he who dwells and the word dwells there in the Hebrew means to sit, to remain, to dwell somewhere. It's, it's used of being seated somewhere. You know, sometimes when I'm in a meeting and I'm ready for the meeting to end, even though no one else might be, I've learned the secret of standing up. Everyone's seated, now I'm standing up. And within a couple minutes, guess what? Everyone else is standing up and we're ready to go. But this word to dwell here means to be settled. It's used of inhabiting a land. Stay there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And then he says he will abide. The word, the Hebrew word there means to lodge somewhere. It means to stay all night. To continue. To endure the emphasis of the word is to stay there all night long. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He's my fortress. He is my safe place. That is the place where MC Hammer said it this way. You can't touch this. Because I'm in the secret place 
of the Most High God, you can't touch this. You can't come near me in that place, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3 for a moment. Colossians 3. Anyone who's not quite sure where that is, it's right between Colossians 1, actually Colossians 2, (laughs) and Colossians 4. I joked myself. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. I love this picture that God gives us. We just saw it in one of the songs that we just sung. But look at this picture. And I want to focus on verse 3, but I'm going to start at verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. Now look at this picture. For you have died, your old self. He's going to tell us in a little while, and he's going to tell us in Ephesians as well, as well to put off the old self. It's died. It's done. It says in verse 3 here, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Can you, can you see that picture? I, I am hidden. I'm in a hidden place. I was going to go back here. Let's see, can I fit? Not after Thanksgiving. I can't fit back there. But I'm in that secret place. I'm hidden with Christ in God. Too much turkey. I can't hide back there. But I can sure be hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful picture. God has me he's got my back he's got my front he's got my side he's jesus is speaking to these men who are about to leave him and forsake him he's telling them abide in me do it now this is important and he knows what they're about to do when they arrest him they're all out of there real quick right but yet he loves them and he says to them that, that they can know that they are covered by him. Mm, mm. We're hidden with Christ in God. The, the, the analogy of the branch into the vine is, is a critical one to understand. Um, a little while ago, I was with Brother Joel, and we were splitting some logs. And... If anyone's ever split logs, you know that the hardest place to split a log is right where you can see a branch had been cut off. If you had a branch in that vine that was a strong branch and it's been cut off and you see that big knot on the side of that piece of wood, if you try to cut it right there, it's going to resist you. That's going to be a difficult place for you to cut that log because where, where that branch was it, it was all the way entwined with the wood. If you've ever seen like a table or something where you see the pattern of the wood and you see a knot right in the middle of that, that's a difficult place to cut because that branch is all the way in there. It's hard to see where the branch ends and where the trunk or the rest of that vine or that wood begins. So we're trying to stay away from where we saw the knots and cut the wood a different way because it's difficult. Well, in essence, when we are in the vine, when we're abiding in Christ, our life becomes like that. Now, let's just say for a second, you're put out on a table surgically, and we need to remove all this Jesus stuff out of you. And we want to do that. So the surgeon lays you out. He says, okay, I can just lop off Sunday morning at 11.45, that's when they get their Jesus. So I'm just going to cut that off, and look, we're good. No more Jesus in their life. But if you're abiding in the vine, they cut off that 11.45 Sunday morning. They look a little deeper. They said, ah, shucks. They go to life group. Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Okay, but lop off Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Got that. Okay, look. Oh, no. They're involved with people's lives who are in their life group. 
They do something with one person. They're prayer partners with another person. I got to go Wednesday morning and Saturday afternoon. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into their family. Oh, no, they pray with their family. Mm. Ah, He's trying to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. That's really messing up my surgery here because now he's all involved in all this. Where can I get in his life? Maybe at his work. Ah, he takes Jesus to work too. Mm. That's going to be a hard surgery. You can't separate the Jesus out of you. When, when you're abiding in the vine, you're soaking in Jesus so that if someone wanted to take the Jesus part out of you, they don't know where to go. Because it's here and it's there and it's everywhere. It's all over me. Because I'm abiding in Jesus Christ. That's the picture that we're getting here in Colossians chapter 3. Abiding in, in Jesus Christ. In, in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. I love that verse. He says, You keep him in perfect peace. The term there in the Hebrew is shalom, shalom. They didn't even know how to make it any better than that. So they just threw one shalom on another shalom. They double shalomed them. You really want to bless somebody, double shalom them. Give them a double portion of shalom. He says, I will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed, dwelling, staying, involved in, seated with, not going anywhere, with you. Peace. Peace. All the things we do to get peace in this world, all the things we do to to try to make life work, to get it together, to do it in such a way that we have control, which we never have. You never have control. But when you let God have control, when you give control to Jesus Christ and when you acknowledge that he's in control so the thing that happens tomorrow doesn't blow you away it doesn't knock you off your rocker and it doesn't make you lose your faith because your mind is stayed on him keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him look back in John chapter 15 again How do we abide in Jesus Christ? How can we do that? Obviously, we need to spend time with him. But look at verse 7. First part of verse 7 here. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. My words abide in you. Psalm 119, the great psalm about the word of God says, my word, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word is in every one of those verses except for like two or three of them. It's 176 verses, I believe. Psalm 119. Read it sometime for devotions. (laughs) One section at a time. But you see the beauty of God's word, the necessity of God's word. And Jesus says, if you're going to abide in me, then my words have to abide in you. We have a lot, a lot of times we're trying to get secondhand word. But we never get firsthand word. You know, it's great to listen to a good podcast. It's wonderful to read some great Christian books. But there's... There's no excuse for us who have, most of you have multiple Bibles at home. you got 37 versions of the Bible on your computer and 18 of them on your cell phone. God says, get in it. Let my word abide in you. It's great that you can tell someone what the pastor said. That's wonderful. It's better if you can tell someone what the word of God says and rightly understand it. Amen. So abide in me. You can't abide in God without staying in his word. And look at verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, some folks would have a problem with that saying, well, you know, that that's that sounds like the Old Testament. We don't keep God's commandments in order to gain 
his love. Look at verse 15 of chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 of chapter 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23 of chapter 14. This is all in the same discourse between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. He will come to him and make a home with him. When we abide in Christ, we abide in his word. His word abides in us and it is our pleasure and blessing to keep his word and walk in obedience to God's command. He's saying this to men again who have failed him over and over again, who will fail him again. You have failed God over and over again. I don't know all of your stories. I know mine, but I don't even know the half of mine. How many times have I failed God? How many times have I let him down by what I've done or by what I've failed to do? And yet his word is abiding in me. It's transforming me. It's changing me in such a way that I'm walking more and more in his commands. In, in later in 1 John, it says that, that when, we, when we love God, we do what he commands, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. It doesn't say they're not hard. <laughs> it doesn't say it's not hard sometimes to put down this nasty old flesh and walk by the Spirit of God, but it says it's not burdensome. I want to do that because he's given me a new heart and a new life. And I want to please my father. I want to please God now. So, so abiding in Christ, disciples abide in Christ. His word abides in us. And we desire to walk with him. Any conception of grace, Christian grace, that undermines the importance of walking in obedience to God's command is a false conception of grace. And it leads people away from Christ instead of to Christ. And we don't, we don't obey his commands to get his approval. We obey and we walk in him because he loves us. And we love him and desire to honor him with our lives. The last point, and I'll be just a couple more minutes. Disciples abide in Christ, but secondly, disciples bear spiritual fruit. We're just talking about that as we talk about walking according to his commands. Look at the verses again. I'll just point out a few of the verses. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Look in the, begin look in the middle of verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches whoever abides in me and I in him it is he that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing verse 8 for this by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples marks of a true disciple true disciples bear fruit your life is different your life is changed. Your life is radically impacted by the reality of the indwelling Christ in you. It makes all the difference in the world. It's tangible. It can be seen. It will be seen. A disciple without fruit is not anything that's known in the scriptures. That's like saying, I'm a plumber. And then someone says, well, can you fix my pipes? Oh, I don't do pipes. I've got a water problem. Oh, I don't do water, but I'm a plumber. You don't plumb. How are you a plumber? It's a fisherman that doesn't like icky worms and fish and things. You're not a fisherman. You have no hook. You've got no pole. Don't tell me you're a fisherman. That's a Christian that says, I'm a Christian, but I have no fruit. Really? That's it. That is an impossibility in the kingdom of God. Now, what we need to be careful about is judging one another's fruit at any given point in time. Because it might look different based on where you came from. 
If you are into certain things, it may take a little while for some of those things to get out of you. But, but rest assured of this, if God is dwelling inside of you, it doesn't have a chance in the long run. If God's working on you, it, you will change. It cannot stay the same. It must be different. It has to change in Christ. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Later on in another verse, in verse 6, he's going to say it's thrown away and it's thrown into the fire. A branch that doesn't bear fruit. That's because a branch that doesn't bear fruit, it, it's, it's not in the vine. It's not a Christian. Metaphorically speaking, no Christian. At all. I'm a branch, but I have no fruit. Well, you're not in the vine. You're not in Christ. So the, all that scripture that we talked about in Colossians, my life is hidden with Christ in God. No, it's hidden somewhere else in someone else. But that's not going to get you into the kingdom. So cutting, cutting. There's no fruit. There's cutting. Now, here's the thing. Look at the rest of verse two. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So you getting cut one way or the other. How do you want to get cut? Now, I've read some things about growing vines and growing grapes. And, and they say that um, vines, when they're growing, they, they usually will put up a trellis, something that they can put up so the vines can grow up onto that trellis. And vines need to be pruned. They need to be pruned in such a way that if any part of that vine is going away from the trellis, you need to cut that off. So you need to cut the vines in such a way so that, and they say, this is the language they use, you're training the vine to, go, to stay on the trellis. You need to train it to stay on the trellis. You do that by pruning it. So you prune everything that goes a different way, and you also prune everything that is weak. Every, so, so many sprouts will come out. Some of them will be weaker. You need to prune the weaker ones and keep the stronger ones so that the vine that you have is robust and so that when the fruit is produced, the fruit is, is great fruit. It produces much fruit. Now, the two common mistakes that they say that people who begin to grow grapes make are this in their pruning. Number one, they prune too early. So while there's just almost no growth, when there's a little growth, they begin to prune. They say, I don't know if that looks right. Cut it off. We do that to one another sometimes. Brand new Christian. Brand new Christian. We take out the, the, the pruning hooks and we start cutting off things because they don't look like what we think they should look like right now. And God wants to take old head Christians like me and maybe some old head Christians like you and just jam them up a little bit and say, lay off of my anointed and beloved. Leave them alone right now. You're crushing them. They're not ready for that right now. We need to love when, when that new growth starts. We need to let it grow a little bit. Now, the other mistake that vine dressers make and our perfect heavenly father, the vine dresser, doesn't make this mistake. The most common mistake in raising, uh, in, in, in growing grapes is that they don't prune enough. So we let certain things go because it's close enough anyway. And, and therefore, we don't grow a robust crop. We may get some grapes. We may get some fruit. But God says, it's my glory that you bear much fruit. I don't want a little grape every other year. I want enough grapes so that we can have a party and party hearty. I want a lot of fruit in your life. I want to see Jesus all over you. I want to see God use you in great ways. I want you to manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and see those things growing in your life all the time. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in you in bunches. 
But to do that, I've got to cut some things. And I've got to cut a lot of things. Now, some of you are going through a cutting time. In fact, probably all of you are in one way or another. It's just the nature of living in Christ. You, you get a little break every now and again where you lay back, put your feet up on the table and say, Jesus, it's all good. Enjoy it because it don't last long because the pruning hooks are coming. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it's weird. It's God wanting to get more glory out of you. It's God wanting to build real joy into you. Not something that's just based on everything going right today. Things will go right for a little while, but not very long. You know that's true, and I know that's true. So God is pruning. He is cutting. He is getting at it. He's getting at things that you say, well, this is pretty good anyway. No, it's not good enough. It's straying away from the vine too far. I want you hooked right into Jesus. I don't want you over here. I don't want you over there. So God cuts, he prunes in order that he might get much fruit out of our lives. Real quickly, last scripture, Galatians chapter 5. Getting ready to close. <clears throat> Already mentioned in verse 22 and verse 23, it talks about all the fruit of the Spirit. Names nine different things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But before that, he names the works of the flesh, starting in verse 19. He said, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, and a whole lot more than that. Anything that smells like that, that's the works of the flesh. He lays it out. I told you about my learning about colors a little while ago. Well, one of the things I learned, too, they not just talked about all the different shades of green and all the different colors that they were, but they talked about how one color can accent another color. Dana's talking about that to my wife and say, if you get this color and you put it next to this one, then what will happen is that color will just pop. It will pop. And so, like, for the next week and a half, I have painted, I still haven't done the trim on this thing, man, but I painted my living room, and my wife is like, oh, I can't wait till you do the trim. Why? Because it'll pop. And she would just say it over again. She'd say, it's, I can't wait because it's going to pop. It's going to pop. I said, you better stop. Stop, stop. You're driving me crazy. But, but what, what, what they're talking about is one color brings out the fullness and the beauty of that other color. And you see the contrast and you say, wow, look at that. See, that, that's what happens in the Christian life when we abide in Jesus Christ and begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It pops compared to the mess that our natural flesh is involved in. And it's like, it's different. You didn't just start loving this person. You, you love yourself. You're selfish. You're self-centered, but now I can give of myself to someone else without looking for what they're going to give me back? That's the Spirit of God. Now I'm going through a difficult time, and I don't know if I can take it anymore, but I go into that shelter of the secret place of the Most High and dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, and I'm like, I'm able to say, Lord, help me through this. I know you've got my back. That's not natural. That's supernatural. Kindness. Self-control. You know you used to not be able to control your tongue for one minute. And sometimes you still find out, like the spaghetti sauce, that there's things in there that you didn't know were in there anymore. But 
many times you find out that when that, that cursing rant that would just tear somebody up to down and sideways and wipe them out, I'm able to hold my tongue and keep my peace. And I've got something called shut mouth grace, and I don't curse them out in Jesus' name. Fruit of the Spirit, pop, contrast. God is at work to will and to do of his good pleasure in your life. Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows that Peter, in a few minutes, is going to be cursing and saying, I never knew him. Who are you talking about? I, I've never been with him. He knows that even after he's resurrected from the dead and appears to ten of the disciples and others, that Thomas is going to say, look, unless I put my hand in his side, unless I put my hand in his hand and see those holes, I'm not going to believe you. He knows that Matthew and the others, Nathaniel, are going to run away as far as they can so that they won't be caught up in the conspiracy and, and, and rounded up because they were with Jesus. And yet he speaks these words to them, abide in me, bear fruit in me. Some of you have been running in different ways. Some of you know that, man, I have blown it. As surely as Peter blew it, as surely as Tomer, Thomas blew it, I, I've been blowing it. I've been blowing it, Lord. I messed up this way and that way. And Jesus said, I love you anyway. His invitation to you today is to abide in him. Make that your prayer Make that your priority today. Abide in me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do thank you that your love for us is beyond what we could ever imagine. Your invitation to us to come, to dwell, to abide. to walk in you, to know you in the pardon of our sins, in the power of the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we might give glory to you. Lord, we thank you today. Lord, I just pray for anyone who's struggling here today, that they may see your invitation all over again, afresh and anew. Lord, that for every one of us, we would see that the things that we call so important and pressing don't matter a hill of beans compared to spending time with you and deriving true life from the vine that's able to produce much fruit. Glorify your son in our lives. Let Jesus Christ be made much of because of our living. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.